Hey guys, it's Angela Blair. Welcome to All Strings Attached, where we take an honest look at sex, relationships, and everything in between. I'm an 80s baby, 90s kid here, where Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, Mariah Carey, and Glow in the Dark Stars took up half of my wall space throughout my childhood. There's totally no judgment here if you go back to your childhood days and just think about the dance parties or karaoke in the mirror jamming out to your favorite songs as if you were part of the band because that was totally me. Music brings us all a vibe and it's present in every part of our lives. Our spiritual rituals are framed with songs. When we're kids, we learn the alphabet through songs and restaurants and stores are rarely silent. Today, I'm so excited to go back to one of the OG pop icon groups of the 2000s, the Pussycat Dolls. With only two studio albums, the band became the best-selling girl group of the 2000s, selling 55 million records worldwide. This group set the bar for being sex icons. But with that level of fame, also comes the pressures. I'm pulling back the Hollywood curtain to hear from one of the founding members of the Dolls, Kaya Jones, to hear what her experience was and talk sex and entertainment today. Kaya Jones is a singer well-known for her role in the musical group Pussycat Dolls, who has since embarked on her own solo career. Kaya, thank you so much for joining me on All Strings Attached, where we talk about all things related to relationships and the journey to get to marriage and the pressures that come with it. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. And, and it is very true. The journey to marriage and the pressures that come with it, it is real. The struggle is real. As I say, it is a jungle out there. So, you know, I know you've done so much in your music career. You have shared some really significant stories from your work. And I hope today that we can go even deeper and our listeners can just hear about your journey, the ups and downs, everything in between. So let's jump right in. Awesome. So first of all, you are one of the founding members and familiar face to all those back in the day when the Pussycat Dolls first formed. What was that like? How did that come to be? That was a journey. I had been doing music for a while at that point. So I actually heard about the audition on MTV News. It was Gideon Diego on MTV News that was like, the Pussycat Dolls are having an open call audition. And that consisted of uh, 2,000 girls in Burbank. We showed up and it was over two days and they narrowed down from 2,000 to 200 to 40 to 20 to two. And at that point, it was myself and Melody Thornton that came in. When you guys were envisioning you guys as a group and the impact you want to have on culture, what were those conversations like? Like, what did you guys want to be known for? And what did you want that message to be? That's an interesting and very tricky question because there were many people behind the creation of all of it. You have the owner of the group, you have the record executives that want to make sure we have hit records. And then you have myself and Nicole that did a lot of the heavy lifting that have to conceptualize and create what we think is going to work. There was many songs that no one's heard that were recorded and many strategic partnerships with different producers to try and find the best sound. So it was an ever evolving, like, and, and a lot of pressure, you know, don't mess up. We have to build hit records. I think we all had ideas of what it could be and it could have been greater than what it became. Yeah. 
when you were at the audition or even after, you know, when you guys are starting to record or even perform, you know, I mean, the Pussycat Dolls are known for being extremely sexy. I mean, almost like sex icons. I'm sure that comes with a lot of pressures. Like, what was that like for you? Were you super confident or were you like, oh my gosh, like, what am I fully doing? Like, what what was going through your head? Yeah, I think all of us, we all had serious issues with our body. And a lot of that came from the pressures of the people that were putting a lot of pressure on us. I was 17 turning 18 when I joined the Pussycat Dolls. By no means did I think I was beautiful. I was told daily how tall I was because I'm 5'11". I was the tallest one. I could never wear heels on stage. I always had to wear flats. You're constantly kind of poked and not good enough. So I was constantly in this frame of mind of my height being a problem, constantly told about my weight. And that was a hard one. I'd get midnight phone calls from the owner and she'd say, oh, I heard you had cheese with your omelet today. You know, you're, you can't do that. Have you taken a look at your body? Mm. And at 115 pounds, uh, that has damage. That is serious damage that you can't reverse. I still deal with it daily and I have to work through it. You know, and other girls, if they had bad skin, you know, it was that the pressures were there. We were told daily what was wrong with us. So by the time you're then asked or put into situations that you really should stand firm and be like strong, you start to just feel weak. It was when we worked with Scarlett Johansson. She came in at 19 years old. We're the same age. She comes in and this girl had confidence that was just like up to here. It was phenomenal to see this girl's confidence. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow, I wish I was like that. She knew who she was. She knew how powerful her being is. And she stood so strong. And I remember just being enamored by that because we're the same age. And I was just, you know, weak in, in the mindset of my confidence. And uh, she heard the way I was spoken to. And while we're in the hair and makeup chair, we were sitting beside each other. She turns to me and she goes, I would never let anyone talk to me that way. You should leave. And I remember just thinking, I'm not nuts. And this is really where a sister in a moment gives the best advice possible. And she was an empowered, strong, incredibly talented young woman, but she knew her worth. And she was mm-hmm. never going to let anyone undermine that. And I just remember thinking that that was powerful. And I wish that yeah. I could be more that way. I think today I'm more that way. But at that time, I wish I could go back to my younger self and say, gosh, you were so beautiful. You were, you're so smart. You deserve the best. Yeah, that hits me because I know in my life, I look back and I really had to learn that self-love. You know, I was so I used to be so focused on finding my husband or finding the guy. And then I was like, whoa, I need to really learn to love myself first. And yeah. I think part of that is also grace on ourselves for whatever we do in the past. So, but it's interesting because, you know, back then there wasn't social media like it is today. And it's almost like this over-sexualization of women for our bodies, it's almost like started to change. You know, like Victoria's Secret, they just changed their models. They have all sorts of shapes and sizes and even genders up there. I mean, what are your thoughts on where this awareness and true women's, you know, beauty, what that looks like, how that's morphed just from what you were in and what you went through? Yeah. I mean, I curated young minds for a living. That is what any pop star, any well-known face in the media realm, you curate young minds. What you say, how you say it, how you show yourself, you are influencing a generation. 
And it is a serious mantle to carry for sure and, and stand strong on, but it's, it's definitely something that you're aware of. I knew I couldn't do that anymore when I'm going through losing my child. I'm going through an abortion that was I was told to have. Uh, you're fired if you don't get rid of your child in the job I held at that time. And I'm performing at the biggest moment, you know, Divas Live fashion moment on MTV where you're like fashion and music and beauty. And this is what like all the superstars have been a part of. I used to watch Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and Aretha Franklin did this. And now here we are, the Pussycat Dolls. And there's these two little girls in the front row. One had to have been about four or five and the other one, six or seven. And the little one looked up at me and went, she's a Pussycat Doll. I just felt so gutted because um, here I am losing my child. I, I'm supposed to feel like, you know, the top of the world. We're famous. I'm beautiful. And here we are. And I felt like I was nothing. And I never wanted those little girls to think that this was beauty. And this was definition of what being an incredible, smart, tenacious young woman is. That was the aha moment for me. What our industry has become subsequently is a cause and effect of myself and countless others who have pushed this idea of beauty onto young women, that perfection is attainable. It is not. Your beauty comes from God confidence. Your beauty comes from within. And our flaws is what makes us beautiful. And to embrace those things. But wholeheartedly, what I have seen recently is frightening. What aspects would you say? Are you like, oh, hold on a second. Like, what is that? That there's no end in sight of how far sexualization has gone. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what a line is until you've crossed it. And at what point do we realize we've crossed that line? I mean, naked women on any level isn't shocking anymore. There's no shock anymore. You almost need to put clothes on to start shocking people. That would be great. You know, show yeah. us really the skills that you have. Show us your brain, your abilities, like dreaming to be a female president one day instead of this, like, I'm just going to constantly be about my physical aspects. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be a woman. It really is. But understand that there's more depth in becoming a great mom, which yeah. I never got to do. And I hope I get that opportunity, but that was stripped for me because I was selling myself for fame. I've had three abortions. I've had three. And were all three of those, were you told, hey, you you can't have a child? First time 16, signed with a record company. They couldn't know, God forbid. They couldn't know. Second time, you know, in the Pussycat Dolls. When you've done it so many times, this is the thing that I need to really convey. It's not a big deal. You're never shown your child at any of these facilities. That's why I've been so public about speaking about it because at 37, I can't reverse what I chose to do. And the damage is very real. Young women today may think, oh, it's my best choice. But when you hit 37, 40, 50 years old, I will say this, you're going to have a reckoning. When that reckoning hits you, you have to answer to it. And if it wasn't by the grace of God in my faith and working through prayer and literally you know, sitting with God and having one-on-ones with him in that healing process, I wouldn't be able to get up because it's, it's, you feel like something was taken from you that was always a part of you. The only way I can explain it is like, I felt like someone took a kidney. Mm -hmm. And and it's crazy to say that because you've always had, you know, your body parts and, and what have you, but you've also always had your eggs in you. They've always been a part of you. So 
what aspects of our industry have gone too far? All aspects. The music industry doesn't inspire people anymore. Do you think that sex is almost inessential to sell music? Oh, or absolutely. if you're wanting to be a musician, is it like inessential to just be sexy or? Yeah, it's turned into that. It went from being, you know, looking like a model or being like a beautiful teenage girl or young woman to, you know, now we actually have people from the sex industry that are leading the music world. Uh, it has nothing to do with composition, with instrumentation, the structure of music. That was my life. It still is my life. Uh, classically trained violinist first before even going into being a vocalist, before going into being a producer, a DJ, a writer. So it's kind of alarming what our industry has become. It's become, you know, tits on toast. It's not real. In my opinion, this is not art. This is, it's gross. It's not inspiring anyone. If anything, you're dumbing down young women daily. And how is that a part of the feminist movement when the whole part of being a real championing woman is to let young women know that they're beautiful and no matter what they want to do, that they can succeed and be successful. And that doesn't come down to showing your body. If anything, young men have less respect for you when you do that. It's interesting because I actually saw an article today. I don't know if you know Matthew West. He's a Christian artist, but he made a video with his daughters and he's like, hey, modest is hottest. Like, sorry, I'm a girl dad. Like, I want my girls to respect themselves and not feel that pressure. And he got so much backlash for posting that. It's interesting how modesty and all of that through social media, I think a lot of girls feel pressure to post certain things. I mean, it's no lie that the algorithm favors more. I mean, if I post a picture in a bikini versus me in front of church holding up a basket of biscuits, I don't know, the bikini picture is going to get way more likes. Like that's just, that's how it is. And I think it's interesting though, because I mean, they have documentaries about this. There's fake famous. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's all about chasing this fame online. And I think you have experienced fame in such a big way. You're a Grammy-winning artist. You were experiencing fame before social media was what it is today. I mean, what would you say to someone that feels that they need to chase that? Don't, you know, <laughs> Jesus, how many disciples did he have? And look how much he's affected the world. You don't need to have a certain amount of likes and followers to define your value or your wealth of how beautiful and precious you are. It's fake. We created in this industry that is my life and I would never pick another industry. I love media. I love entertainment. I think it's an incredible thing to be a part of. I also think we have a huge responsibility to move with the times, but also be mindful to educate those who really don't understand the grass isn't always greener. You really need to know who you are before you just think that, oh, the world needs to know who I am. It's better that the world really doesn't know who you are and you're slowly making a difference in your community than thinking you need to get known by the world. And it's part of my job. By singing, it's brought this known notoriety. But I'm going to sing if I was trapped in a dungeon. You're like, it's that going in here, but I'm going to sing. Yeah, I love praising him. I love yeah. talking to him. And, and it's beautiful to do. So if... If we go back to that time and what, how old were you when you had your first abortion? 16. Where was your faith at during that time? Like, were you just feeling so many pressures and 
where was your walk with the Lord at that time? He never left me. (laughs) I always left him. I think that's how it works. He's always chasing us. He's always chasing us. And we, we either choose to lean into him or run away from him. We're usually running away. I've left him more times than he's ever walked away from me. He was with me in that time, you know, but my first record deal came when I was 12 years old. So I graduated with tutors in a record deal when I was signed to R. Kelly at 14, you know, at 16, then to be signed to a new company and the pressures there. Where was my faith? I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. Fame was more important. My job was more important. What will people think of me? How am I going to do this? If, if I do this, how am I going to do it? Not realizing there's institutions that have been created to help people do this. Mm-hmm. Now I know that because I speak on it and I, and I am able to tell young women, there are people that will help you. You can't afford to do this or you don't know how, or you don't have support. There are support organizations that will help you do this. But that's where I was. I really didn't know. And then in the second situation at 19, I was told to get rid of it. There were other women as well that were told to get rid of theirs. I think more and more women, you know, you heard Jamie Lynn Spears just came forward and spoke about what was uh, put onto her at 16. It's very common. It's very common because it is a very a demanding industry that if you're not willing to do what is expected of you, someone will take your position and you're replaceable. That is how you feel. So that kind of pressure on a young mind is hard because you do you really know what you're doing? And once you've done that, then there's no limit to like, oh, I can do it again. It doesn't, it's just a clump of cells. It doesn't mean anything. But when it finally does hit you, it's pain that is like no other. So definitely I knew the Lord. I knew it was wrong, but I never, I never really had the depth of understanding that there was another option. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I know that's incredibly personal and I mean, you're just reflecting on it, I believe is so powerful for other people to hear, you know, because that's one of the things I think about purity, if you will, like purity culture has such a bad rep because it's like this notion that if you do something bad, you lose it and you're just like, okay, there's no hope. But I, you know, I made the decision in my personal life. I saw a lot of brokenness in my family and I didn't have a trust. You know, I was like, I don't trust anyone and I'm just not going to do any of that until I know. And it kind of evolved into me just saying, hey, I'm going to wait for marriage. But I can't tell you how many times I've wanted, I say to my friends or other people, like, I am no better just because I was a virgin on my wedding day. Like all of us mess up. And I think we all have our own battles in different things, you know? And I read this the other day and I want to share it with you and get your thoughts, but purity isn't something you lose. It's something that we can continue to grow in, in our Christian walk. And it's a journey with God, you know? And I just think I'd love your thoughts on that because when we have done something that we regret, because I've done things too, just, you know, in other ways, like that I regretted. What is your advice to someone that is feeling their heart just so heavy with the decision they made? That's why were redeemed through Christ. He he didn't come to redeem the already knowing, you know, he came for those that are the sinners, are the ones that don't do it right, are the ones that miss the mark, you know, and that's what sinning means is to miss the mark. You know, you try again. None of us are perfect. He, only he was perfect. 
a lot of those pressures, unfortunately, you know, and I, and I still deal with a lot of questions now because I've been in a relationship with the person I've been with. We're going into four years. God has shown me that's my husband. God has also showed me children with this person, but we created a covenant before I was in ministry. Is that hard for y'all's relationship ever? Just, oh, are y'all like, okay, we're going to be super this, super that. Like, I mean, it's, it's a real thing, like hard to figure out that balance of your faith, but like everyday life with someone and what that looks like. Like, has that been hard for you? Yeah. I mean, it's been very hard. The more that I've actually been in college and in Hebrew college that I'm in now, I'm in biblical Taurus and and studying and, and really getting the ministry side of understanding our heavenly father. A lot of the pressure I felt, you know, subsided when I understood that we are already in a covenant in the eyes of God. Then I was like, oh, whoa, okay. But we haven't done it correctly. So he's expecting that. He still expects that. But once you've created a covenant, that's already established. What do you mean by make a covenant? I just want to make sure. Okay, so when we sleep with someone, right? We're creating a covenant, right? I'm going to So when you sleep with people outside of marriage, you're creating these covenants with other human beings. It is very spiritual. It's very serious. And I'm learning this through studying our heavenly father really getting into understanding the root of the words and understanding what he was teaching us. But we have to go through those covenants we created and turn a tide. That's why my baptism was so important too. I wanted to marry God, reestablish my covenant with God, the number one covenant. And when a husband and wife have that moment with the Lord, that's why it's so important a lot of people don't understand. It's not the physical that God's really talking to us about. We can get sick or things can happen when we are doing it in the physical with someone and we're not ready or we're too young. But he's talking about the spiritual aspect of things. You're taking on things that don't belong to you spiritually now. And if you're not in a covenant with your husband and wife, do you want to take on some of that burden and some of those things that you, you know, then you feel, why do I feel different? Why do I feel like I have some energy shifts on me or some spiritual, well, you took on things that didn't belong to you. You're building a covenant through sex before you were ready with a person and when it, when it's really supposed to be right. But that doesn't mean you can't make it right. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And that doesn't mean you can't fix it. When you know better, we do better. And so now that I'm really walking through all of it. And I do believe that's what my ministry will be for our Heavenly Father. What he's requiring of me is to understand him, to be able to share this with young women who have missed the mark like myself and made decisions that we can't change. How how do we get right with our Heavenly Father? Does he still love us? Those things. And, and he does. In fact, yeah. he he's never left you. He loves you. And he's just waiting for you to say enough's enough. And I'm okay with you making me a new through you. And that's, that's really beautiful. where the turn is. Yeah. I love that so much. It's beautiful. And, you know, when you go back to that time when you were in kind of the craziness, it sounds like just a tornado of so many different things coming at you. What was that final straw when you were like, I am done. I am leaving the pussycat dolls. I don't care. Like, I'm just over this. The straw definitely was those young women at Divas Live in 2004. Then it took a long time to get out of the secular world because I was still in it. So even though I left the Pussycat Dolls, I still was touring as a recording artist and I was still singing secular songs and then singing Pussycat Doll songs because people wanted to hear the songs from the group that I was a part of. So he has been 
with me through all of it. And the defining moment where I then knew I was going to, I have to work for you, father. I want, I want to work for you at that point was actually with Tommy Lahren on the blaze. It was her last show on the blaze before she went on to the view episode. And she asked me what being a conservative was. And I said, Oh, you know, I support our military, support our nation. You know, I voted for Trump. I, and then I said, I pray to Jesus. And the heat that ran through my body when I said that, um, I knew that was the Holy Spirit because I was for the first time actually conveying on camera who I prayed to. I'd never been allowed to do that. I was always told, don't do that. Don't define your God, you know, because you're going to cancel out a lot of your followers, fans, all of that. Just surface your faith side. And at that point, I then said, well, Father, I can't walk this back. People in the industry said, I hope you know you can't walk that back, you know. So I prayed about it. I said, Father, you have to bring forth the opportunities because I trust you and now I want to work for you because I'm all in. And it has taken a long time to get me here where I'm now in college for him and just studying him daily. That's amazing. So now you're, are you in seminary or what is the school for? It's Hebrew college. I'm in Hebrew. Wow. Okay. So this is really cool. I found there was a teaching online. I found on my own, but I presented it to our teachers in the school and, and the rabbi was like, no, this is spot on. So this was, this was great. So Matthew 513, right. To 516, when we're talking 515, when we're talking about being the salt and the light of the earth. So a lot of people think he's talking about flavoring something like sprinkle some Christianity over here right? Just sprinkle a little bit of that over there. What Jesus is talking about in that teaching that is in tremendous, but I hope this gives some people listening some, some aspects of how serious what he was teaching really is. Back in those times, people would go out to the backyard, relieve their bowels and throw salt over their poop. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So glad we live in modern times, by the way. I know, right? Just got to say that. (laughs) So the salt was a disinfectant. It would literally kill the bad bacteria and then fertilize the good bacteria. So when he is saying literally be the salt, he's talking about coming in direct contact with pure filth and shifting it by just being what we are. So by being a Christian, by being a living, walking, breathing testimony of his grace, you have a responsibility to shift the atmosphere around you. And so that doesn't mean just always going into the echo chamber of talking with other Christians. That actually means coming in direct contact with those that don't know him at all, because through you, they get to see Christ and they may never see him. They may never hurt him. And through meeting you, you get to do that introduction. That's a huge responsibility, but it also is so much deeper in the understanding of what he was saying when he said being the salt. It's being the fertilizer and shifting by being. So that's one of the teachings and things that I've like, whoa, it was just kind of like, wow, that's so much deeper. I feel like that's so much cooler. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I did not know that. You know, I just, my final question, I love how you have been so strong through all your battles. And if you could say one thing to someone, whether it's a guy or a girl that feels frustrated with just their love life past or they're, you know, wanting to kind of have a different path, like what would you say to them? I would say that you can and that you're enough. And when you understand what that means, it means that God made you for 
for this time. He made you beautiful the way that you are. And he made a person that is perfect for you. And if you're not in that situation, it's coming. What he's requiring is you get to know him better because through getting to know him, he gets to reveal a more beautiful, refined self of you. So your confidence goes up. We date our confidence, right? So when we don't think very highly of ourselves, we choose really poor decisions and people that aren't good for us. And through spending time alone and refining, letting God refine you and letting him really show you how important you are, how special you are, that you're enough for him. If you're enough for God, then no human being on this planet should ever make you feel that you're not enough. And when you have found the right person and you'll know it because the Holy Spirit will confirm, even if they're not at that place where you might be because you're further along with the Lord, Pray for them, minister to them, and know that he will get you both there at the right time. And that's what God has really done in my relationship. Derek and I met and we were not walking with the Lord by any means. And then through all of this, you know, his dad, we took care of his dying father in 2020. And his dad actually told me about the angels that were in the room. He was like, you know, do you see them? And he talked about them, how they were celebrating. and. I then wanted to read my Bible more. I then wanted to, so that's really when I started to invest and invest. I just want to be around the Lord so much more. Without Derek as my partner, would I have had that moment with his dad, Angel? No, Derek's a part of my ministry. I'm a part of his ministry. And when you understand how important it is, wherever you are, whether you're single or you're in a relationship to continue to nurture and allow God to shift you and continue to pray for your partner and pray for your partner that isn't there yet. You know, keep the Sabbath. And when you're doing that prayer as your single self in your house and you made that beautiful dinner for the Lord and you're sitting with him and you're just like, I love you, Father. I just pray for your husband, pray for your wife that you haven't met yet because they're somewhere in the world praying for you. Amen to that. Well, I can't wait to see your journey to continue unfolding all the things God has in store. And it sounds like you and Derek, I mean, we should be seeing wedding bells sometime soon. I don't know. Or yeah. whenever whenever you're ready. I don't know. God's timing, right? God's timing. That's the Holy Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit lead. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today and just love hearing some of your story. And hopefully we can have you back in the future and hear more about what you're up to. I would love to. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. When I talk with Kaya, I am reminded of a study that I once researched by Dr. Eileen Zubrigan of the American Psychology Association Task Force. She studied media and human behavior and wrote... We have ample evidence to conclude that the sexualization of women has negative effects in a variety of domains, including cognitive functioning, physical and mental health, and healthy sexual development, as well as a healthy self-image. Now, I think that there's a lot more awareness around this today, but there's definitely still work to do. When Kaya experienced all of this, this was before the social media explosion 
where today, I mean, we've got sites like OnlyFans where girls literally get compensated for sexy pics and videos. The sexier pics they post, the more money they make. But before you hit that upload button, I think it's really important to think, where does this road lead? Is the content that we're uploading serving ourselves? Is it serving other people? Is it harmless? Or are there actual impacts on us and our relationships? I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. Honestly, I really want to explore this more. And I think we're going to have to bring in a professional psychologist to help us understand. Because let's be real, it's a part of our everyday lives. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of All Strings Attached. I am currently in my comfy sweater, drinking coffee from our new mug that says, waiting for my soulmate, but until then, coffee. So get yours, join the fam. It's time to revive romance. We'll see you next time on All Strings Attached. All Strings Attached is hosted by me, Angela Blair. The show is executive produced by Soul Shop, and our production coordinator is Spencer Tropper. Special thanks to the folks at City Reach Church and Daniel Rudnai for this awesome recording studio. Follow me at officialablair on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and follow the show at All Strings Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok too. Sign up for my newsletter at allstringsattachedpod.com. And if you go all out and send me an email at Angela at allstringspod.com, I may even respond. Don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts like every other show tells you to do. Until next time, I'm Angela Blair. Angela Blair.